Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where Kyle and I bring on guests with experience doing what we want to do, whether that's in entrepreneurship, marketing, real estate, running their own podcast, or just living an unconventional life. We bring people on to learn how they've done what they've done and to share that advice with you all. Today, we have Jeremy Carter on the show, the founder of Breakout Birmingham. Jeremy was actually introduced to me by my father, Patrick Bishop. They developed their relationship through a shared passion for entrepreneurship, and my dad suggested that he would be a great guest. Jeremy has succeeded in many things that Lewis and I want to pursue, from his start in commercial real estate and then starting and running a successful business to conducting a powerful interview podcast to today, as he looks to expand into a new business through acquisition. Throughout the interview, Jeremy gives deep and thoughtful insights about what he has learned from these projects. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope that you enjoy the interview. Jeremy, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We're excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. It's a pretty cool opportunity to be able to talk to you guys. Absolutely. So, Jeremy, you graduated Sanford and started in commercial real estate. You did that for a few years and then the housing market collapsed, right? So you had to pivot in 2009 and we think you were pretty successful at it. How did you handle that situation? And then how would you advise people that are having to pivot today facing a similar landscape of uncertainty? Yeah, it actually is pretty similar. I hadn't thought of that, uh, but back then it was like I was selling commercial real estate and one day everything was going great and the next day it was like somebody turned a light switch off and you just you couldn't do it anymore and at the time we had no idea why we didn't know what was going on we didn't know the underlying issues or any of that stuff it was just like something's something's up what is this and so there's a lot of unknown which is kind of like today as well just a lot of unknown and so i shifted and ended up in it was mobile and web application sales and my approach was just to go do something. I didn't exactly know what I was going to do. And I think that's probably the, the piece of advice I would think if you're pivoting from something is typically just to do something, meaning it's easy to sit back and try to figure out the perfect path, the perfect plan. And I do recommend having a strategy. I definitely think you should set your intention. But then from there, it was kind of like, we'll, we'll just see what happens. And stuff changed and was very different along the way. I thought all along that I'd go back and be in commercial real estate investment. And I just never did. And mm-hmm. that's fine. I, you know, my plan changed and then it changed again and it will probably continue to do that. But that's what I think is for the most part, if you're changing to something is just to, to take action and, and not, you know, not be dictated by the circumstances. Yeah. I think that alludes to something that we talked about um, before the show in a previous conversation where you were saying that how done is better than perfect. You know, you, you have to put stuff out there, whether or not it goes well, or you become the next Tim Ferriss, at least you, you've done something with your time. You know, I really, yeah, absolutely. I really like that point. Um, can you explain a little bit about what your mindset was during this time? Cause you know, change isn't something that comes easy to most people. Like going from commercial real estate to app sales and, and mobile development, it just, it seems far out to me, at least. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you approach that situation? Well, I don't know that I approached it really well. Mm-hmm. I, would think, uh, I think mostly it was naivety or naivety that led me to think that the next thing I did was just going to be great. And maybe that's optimism. I don't know. I don't think I'd, 
I definitely thought about it. I definitely, and there was, there was probably a stop or two along the way where I did some things just to make some money before I ended up in that other job, uh, mobile and web application sales. But I think the thing that was best was just that I was really flexible and that I, it, it helped probably that I wasn't married at the time. And so it was just me had extremely low overhead. And so it mm. didn't, it didn't really feel like a risk. It, it felt like, yeah, I'm going to go do this for a while. Then I'll come back. And so I was just optimistic and thought that, you know, okay, this is the next thing. So I'll go do this. I'll go do this really well. And then I'll come back and was really flexible in that approach. And it, it, um, you know, it was really, I, I didn't, I don't know that I got a whole lot of, uh, advice or wisdom, which I probably should have done. I just kind of winged it, went by the seat of my pants and, and that was it. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think there's not necessarily anything wrong with that approach. You made sure that as long as you were taking action, doing things to keep yourself, uh, supporting yourself and doing work that was able to at least have something to show for that use of time, you know, you weren't wasting your time and rather than sitting around and perfectly planning something out and trying to get opportunities that don't exist. If you were stuck in that old mindset of, you know, I spent all this much time in commercial real estate and I'm just going to wait until that opportunity comes around again, instead of that open-minded attitude. Uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that approach you took. Uh, so the next, next question we have for you is after, you know, you transition into what seems like a completely different career path and you do that for however long of a time you do, how do you get from that point into kind of a more entrepreneurial state of mind uh, that led into you know, kind of more recent projects? Yeah, I think it was the company that I surrounded myself with and that was somewhat intentional and somewhat accidental. When I ended up at that company, it was called Chronicle and they were just a bunch of entrepreneurial guys who uh, that's, we were in Innovation Depot. So we were surrounded by other startups and those people became my friends, the people in the building that were also starting up businesses. I remember in college, I had a friend of mine who was like, I want to be a business owner. That's what his ambition was. And I thought, well, that, that sounds terrible. Why would you want to do that? But the longer I was exposed to more other guys who were entrepreneurs and I understood more about business ownership, the more it started to appeal to me. And I felt like, well, this is something I can do. And then it, at some point, just kind of became an obsession that this is definitely what I want to do. This is all I want to do. This is all I'm really good at now. <laughs> yeah, that's a per- that's awesome. pretty dramatic uh, transformation I- of mindset in a short period of time. Yeah, it was pretty dramatic. And I, I, I maybe I just hadn't been exposed young enough to things that were to entrepreneurs that I wanted to be like, you know, I guess I had probably the wrong, um, examples of like, Oh, I don't want, I don't want to be in a, you know, a stodgy guy in an office, which was like far from what it actually was. So when I really understood it and I really dove in deep, then I realized, well, this is for me and I, I can be good. And at that's it. a pretty powerful point you brought up there, which is a lot of Kyle, my ambition with doing the show is wanting to expose ourselves to the people doing the kinds of things we want to have done and actually having, making our circle entrepreneurs, people with that mindset, people with, experiences to draw on and talk about uh, how they did it and the benefits of that approach or the how-to guide for that approach to life rather than other traditional models because it's just hard to find those people unless you put yourself in a startup environment unless you purposely network within those circles yeah and and that desire actually drew us together we we actually met at an entrepreneurship center very similar to innovation depot in tuscaloosa and that's had profound impacts on my life, just being a part of that community and getting around people, like you said, that we're entrepreneurs and we're interested in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you kind of shift from there right into breakout Birmingham. Can you explain a little bit about, about that path from Chronicle to breakout? Like how'd you get exposed to it? Yeah. So the owner of the company Chronicle that I was with uh, passed away and I moved on. I took a job that was, it's not even worth talking about. It was terrible, awful job. And so then I'm in that process when a, um, or in that job, when a friend of mine that I went to Stanford with texted me and asked me if I wanted to open an escape room with him. At that point, I was so desperate. I just said, yes, (laughs) I had no idea what it was. I was like, I want to open this with you. And so please tell me what it is. And so he kind of walked through it and basically he had seen it in other parts of the country and it was bigger, pretty big in other parts of the world. And I had built up enough relationship with him because this is 2014 at this point. I'd known him since college, which was 01 to 05. So we've talked on and off over the years. So pretty much anything at that point that he had put in front of me, what maybe not the opportunity, but he was already vetted. Like I know, yes, I want to work with you. As long as the opportunity fits, we're going to do this. And so when he said yes, or when I said yes, I went up there, I tried the games that he had in Lexington, Kentucky. I loved it. I thought this is something that'll work in Birmingham. So we came back to Birmingham and four weeks later we opened with a couple rooms and then kept adding them every few weeks. We'd add more rooms to it uh, to the point. I think we have eight here now. And then we, let's see, that was uh, February of 2015, February, March. And then the next year in 2016, in February, March, we opened one in Mobile. And then in May of 2016, we opened one in Montgomery. So I was operating three of those stores, kind of going up and down, up and down 65 constantly. I was on video chats a lot with our managers down there handling a variety of different issues. Uh, But that's how it came about, kind of the the genesis of getting involved with a business where we lock people in a room for an hour for money. Can you explain that just a little bit? Like what exactly a break or a um, escape room is? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a team building exercise. We, we cater to two different audiences. One is corporate groups. So you've got Blue Cross, Regions, Alabama Power. They have budgets that they're looking to spend so that their teams can go and learn to communicate better, work together, and hopefully have some fun off-site from where they work, get out of their normal routine. And so we cater to that. And basically, uh, and, and then the other audience is nights and weekends, holidays are all friends and family, date nights, and that kind of thing. We put people in a room for an hour in a themed room. They've got to solve their way out using clues, puzzles, codes, whatever it may take to solve that room within 60 minutes. And so what you're essentially doing is taking people's phones away. You're taking their normal day-to-day stresses and you're saying, okay, here's, a, here's one challenge that all of you are tasked with. You have 60 minutes to figure it out together. And sometimes that goes really well and sometimes it goes really poorly. It just depends on the dynamic of the groups, but it's designed as an experience to force people, kind of force their hand into a situation they don't know, they're a little uncomfortable with. Um, but regardless, good things always come out of it. And it's, it's been really cool to see how that happens. Yeah, I um, did one of those rooms a couple of years ago, and um, it's funny. It, it was catastrophic. We we did not complete it in time. There were four little kids in our room, like yelling and screaming, and I was frustrated. But it's still something that we talk about today. You know, two years yeah. later. Yeah. So it, it definitely is an experience that you're you're having with a community of people. Um, what goes into designing the puzzles and like what are the success rates for people getting out of the rooms? I know it probably varies based on, based on the different rooms. Yeah, the success rate is so all over the board and it really depends on 
so many factors from age uh, just to the makeup of the group. Uh, we only do private groups. So you're only with your friends and family. We used to open it up to like anyone. You have mixed groups all the time, but now it's just you and, and your group and you're going in. And the way that we, we essentially just throw a ton of stuff at the wall at the beginning, or we'll come up with like a theme. So uh, like the last one I worked on was a mansion theme. So you're in a haunted mansion and uh, we need to get people from A to B and they've got 60 minutes to do it. So we just start trying to like think through all the different things that we could get them there. And then we kind of build a story around it. So you're kind of in tandem writing a story and then just solving things along the way. Like what would be in a mansion? What would, uh, what kind of furniture would be in there? And then what kind of challenges could we put in front of them while they're in that theme? So most of the time it doesn't work right away. It takes just trial and error over and over and over again to try to find something that works and fits in the budget. Cause we have all these brilliant ideas and then it's like that will, that is way too expensive or it's just going to break. Cause you're trying to put thousands of people through the same experience without something breaking, which is really hard because people just destroy stuff. So it's, it's honestly, it's one of my least favorite parts of it. I don't like coming up with this stuff. Um, there are people that are way better at it here than me. And so I typically just, they do that. Sure. So it kind of seems like, you know, you got involved around the time, uh, kind of blew up as like a national trend. They kind of were popping up all over the place and they kind of came out of nowhere. So what was it like kind of being on that cutting edge of a trend? And then, you know, did the, the wave kind of continue rising or were you along for the way when it kind of hit its peak and then kind of settled to a more stable level? Or what was it like following kind of that demand curve? It was really cool. I mean, it really was very exciting at the beginning because you open up something and you have no idea if anyone will show up. You can do as much market research as you want. You can do testing and stuff, but real life is real life. And so once you put it out there, you're just hoping and praying that people actually go to your website, pay you money and show up at the door. And so that was, that was great. It was an incredible feeling to, to be a part of something like that. Essentially what happens is sales just at the beginning I mean, they can only go up because you're starting from zero. So just a spike, huge spike in sales. And now we're at it five years. We kind of know where the highs are going to be. We know where the lows are going to be. We know the seasonality. We know which groups to cater to. So while it's not certainly not as exciting anymore, it is nice to have that data. It is nice mm -hmm. to know. I mean, COVID, you could throw everything out because we were closed for almost two months. So we'll slowly ramp back up. But, you know, there's pros and cons. At the beginning, when when you're doing probably more business than we did today. It's like, yeah, but you don't know anything. And so now the consistency, there's a value on that. I mean, there's a premium on knowing your customer really well and, and knowing exactly when they're going to come, when they're not going to come and how to staff, you know, because at the beginning we're just like, oh, should we, should we hire people? Should we not? We don't know. And so I, and honestly, I would trade off some of that excitement from the beginning, though it was cool and fun for the stability of knowing what to expect and how to properly equip the location. Yeah, that's really interesting and something that I haven't I haven't thought about is like on that cutting edge of a trend like that, you have no idea what's going to happen, whether it's going to drop to zero or right. or spike up even further. You're just like kind of flying mm -hmm. by the seat of your pants, like you said before, into the future. So that's that's really interesting. Well, I mean, totally. Uh, and, yeah, and it's like, uh, and you don't know anything about anything either. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, there's just so many different questions you have to answer. So well, there's certainly some exciting parts of it. It's just so much unknown and that's good for a season. Like you're glad that it doesn't last forever, even though it's exciting and fun. Yeah. And I know you, 
um, mentioned there briefly about hiring uh, onto the team. And I know when I, I, when I came in, you had a lot of people and they all seemed very focused around giving each person or each group an experience. Right. Um, so how uh, can you share your thoughts on, on building a team that is focused on an experience for the consumer like that? Yeah. I don't know that there's anything more important in a business than building the right team. Uh, actually there's not, there's just not anything more important. It is, it's definitely the most challenging aspect of the business that we have, but is far and away the most important and the most rewarding because we're essentially getting people who at the beginning we don't know to fulfill this mission for this thing that is our livelihood and, and is becoming their livelihood as well. So you're not only now responsible for yourself and your own bills, but now you're responsible for all these other people. But I think the thing about uh, customer service and something I learned from Dave Gray he used to be the CEO at Daxco. And he talked about um, just how taking care of your teammates, taking care of the people that work for you first is the best possible way to serve your customers because we're super customer service centric. We care about them deeply. We're concerned about reviews. We're concerned about their experience, the time they book to the time they walk through the door and leave. And like every piece of that should be orchestrated and thought through and that begins with your team. It doesn't begin with the customers. It begins with getting the right people there who can figure out that experience and who can follow through and who can execute on that. And the times when I've done it really poorly, it showed. And the times when I did it really well, it showed. And there's, there's just no, uh, there's, there's no way around, there's no possible way to build a great business without building an incredible team. And I, it's the thing I am most proud of at our business at all is the team that we have in place because they are, far and away better than I am at running this place day in and day out without question. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that Dave Gray was the first guest on, on your podcast, which is kind of the next place that we're going to go with this interview. Um, Bold Futures is a podcast where you're trying to learn about business and well, business through the lens of leadership, right? So yeah. how would you define leadership and what have you learned over the last 20 years of studying it? I define it as leadership is using your influence for the good of others. And oh. I think there are a lot of great definitions out there. That's just the one that I keep coming back to because it resonates for me is that it's for the benefit of somebody else. Not to say that as a leader, you don't benefit yourself because you do. But I think that that's the best way that I can put it. And when I think of that, I think that every single area of your life is touched by leadership. And if building a team is the most important thing that you do in your business, becoming a better leader is the most important thing you do as an individual. Then there's not anything anywhere close, in my opinion, that I've found. I've done a lot of dumb stuff. But as I continue to learn how to use that influence of my team, which translates for our customers, it's and it's not just here, it's it's in my community, it's with my family, it's it's leadership fully <laughs> revolves and every it touches every single aspect of our lives and so for me it's just been a mission constantly to try to figure that out for myself and that's where the podcast came from I wanted to learn in the same way that you guys are doing this right here for me it was I'm an entrepreneur I'm a business owner now my name is on this thing I have signed paperwork saying that the buck stops here what the heck do I do next? Like how do, if I'm, if I'm an okay leader, how do I get to that next place? And so for me, it was just about 
going out in that podcast was just designed to go and interview leaders who are much farther along than I am and ask them, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? And, and, you know, I didn't do everything. I took some things and I threw some other things they set away. It was my experience, but, um, it, it was definitely to me, it's just, that's, it's one of the most important things you can do is, is learning to use your influence the right way. Mm-hmm. And I know that leadership is mostly made up of what I would call like soft skills, but can you share any like practical, um, things you look at in other people to determine whether or not they are a leader? Yeah, I think the thing that is, if there was a long list of things that make up a great leader from a Mm -hmm. tactical standpoint, there's things that they do well. Um, You know, I think the trait that I kind of see that to me rises above the rest on that list is just people who give a damn. They're just people who care. And you might say that they're passionate, but I don't even think that's the right word. I think they just care about life and they care about people and they care about outcomes. And so the ones that I interact with, both people that I've interviewed, regardless of their situation, some were big business CEOs and others were nonprofit executive directors and everyone in between, they all cared deeply. They cared about the mission that they were on and the people that helped them fulfill that mission, the customers that came along. And to me, I think that's the kind of the core trait that if you're not a person with, with a, a caring energy and a, and a, and kind of a momentum in your life, it's probably not going to work well for you because no one wants to follow that. Mm -hmm. No one wants to follow someone who doesn't care deeply about them. Um, And so that's the character trait that I think. And so if you think of like, well, what does that mean practically? Back to your, I guess your specific question for me, it's just checking in on my team because I am so guilty. I'll come in. I've got my list of tasks. I am head down doing my thing. And then I realize it's been three hours. I haven't checked in on anyone. I haven't made sure everyone's got everything they need. It's just, so for me, the very tactical, practical thing I do is I text them consistently. I'm on Marco mm-hmm. Polo with them. I'm on the phone with them. I'm on video calls, initiating contact. And when I'm here, just making sure that I check in to make sure that they're doing well. And most of the time they are, they've got it all covered. But I think for them, it's good to know that their leader cares about them and is there for their success. Yeah, I think that initiation energy is a huge piece of being a leader. It's like, you know, for me, picking up the phone and calling my friends is like, well, you know, you can think like, why aren't they calling me? But it's just, it's, it's all intrinsic, you know, you have to pick up the phone. It's not that they don't want to talk to you or thinking about it. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's all about the initiation. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think as a leader, you kind of you have to decide to get used to that. Meaning just expect the phone not to ring. Mm-hmm. And then when it does, mm-hmm. you're pleasantly surprised, right? Expect to not be thanked for the things you're providing or expect you just, you kind of lose all that. You expect to be the initiator and then it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's challenging, but it works out. Yeah. I, uh, I really like that approach and that thought process for going into that. You know, you can't expect these things that happen, but if they do, you're happy about it. But otherwise you, as the leader, like you just said, the buck stops here. It's up to you to take mm-hmm. that initiative to reach out and, win, and make the phone call or to say, you know, why aren't people on the same page? It's because I haven't brought together any meetings this week. It's because I haven't asked people. Totally. It's because I haven't coordinated this. And whether or not you're explicitly in that top dog role, it's still, you can take some of that personal ownership and responsibility for, for being in that position. Uh, yep, I totally agree. Yeah. So my next question for you is, 
uh, back to kind of the podcast and the interviews, a lot of the advice you kind of just in your last two answers shared kind of seems like things you uh, more or less realized yourself through the process of running the business. What are some things that were exposed to you or brought to your attention from the interviews, some lessons that you didn't necessarily think of on your own, but when some brought to your attention and you implemented it, you saw a lot of value in them. Hmm. Well, I think that, I think I didn't realize how many different styles of leadership there are because at its core, some of the basic tenets are going to have to be the same. Like I was just saying with, if you're a caring individual, like, well, that has to be the same across the board, but the way that you go about implementing that is just really different. And I think that was good for me to see is that I don't have to, one, I don't have to be like anybody else. I can be myself, which is what this person that I'm talking to is doing. And I certainly take things from these different people to shape who that is rather than, I think at the beginning, I tried to be, I want to lead like this person and I want to emulate them as opposed to being myself and being more of a reflection of them and being more of like, I'm, I'm going to take some of these things, but I'm not taking everything. And I, I think that was really important for me to see because I, you know, if you read a book by some, you know, great business person, it's like, well, they get up at 4.30, so I have to get up at 4.30. Never questioning, well, does that make sense for what you're trying to do? Maybe there's a reason they do that. Maybe they get done with work at three. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I think that was important. And I think that's something valuable for you guys too as you're going through this process is to take those things and just really make it your own. Uh, you work the way that you work. And it doesn't mean you're not challenged. I mean, you should be challenged by other people, but they just all had different leadership styles. They all had different ways of going about things and they were all wildly successful in the way that they did it. So yeah, choose your own adventure. And then not letting like the guilt that can be brought on to people by like reading these books and then looking at their own life and being like, well, he did these things and I'm not doing these things. And sometimes for me in the past, that guilt that I've felt from, um, you know, reading those books and looking at my life and being like, wow, I'm yeah. nothing compared to these people has stopped me from actually taking action and doing things and completing things like we were saying before. So I think that's yeah. a really important hurdle that you have to get over it in order to ever become any sort of leader. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's a weird balance of, of how do you, uh, and I, I, I don't know, I haven't figured it out yet, but there's a dichotomy between allowing yourself to be really challenged and pushed and prodded towards being better. And there's just this really microscopic thin line where all of a sudden now I'm beating myself up and I'm comparing myself to this person and look how much better they are. Why am I even trying? It's like, what? I went from like zero to 60 on two totally different planes really fast. And I think it's just something that, one, I can assure you guys that's never going to go away. So, you know, just continue to fight that fight. But it's also like just being mindful of what my thoughts are because I'm really with, uh, especially with other entrepreneurs, there's guys I'm like, man, he started his business the same time I did. He's three times farther ahead than I am. And what difference does it make? You know, but you just, mm -hmm. you spend time thinking about that and comparing yourself. And so the real benefit I think to that is like, okay, what has he done that I can take and I can make myself better? I don't need to completely disregard him, but I don't need to compare myself. And I think that's, it's a really valuable exercise. That's, and it's mm -hmm. just honestly very hard. Yeah. Every time I, I think about that principle, for some reason, I always get the quip in my head about like the 500 pound man that's running a quarter of a mile in 20 minutes, but he's lapping everybody on the couch. So it's like, uh -huh. you can't, 
you can always find something to compare down to and you can always find something to compare up to. And it's like, you just got to meet yourself where you're at. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that plays well into our next question about the quote that you have on your website, which is why is more important than what? And this is about intentions. Um, What does it mean? What does that, that quote mean to you and how do you practice it? Yeah. So they're clearly both important questions to ask and you've got to understand what you're doing every day and you've got to understand the mission that you're on, but the why is what gives it meaning, right? And if you're not doing something meaningful, and I'm definitely not talking about, you know, starting a change the world business. I'm not talking about that at all, but if you're not doing meaningful work. So for us, for example, the, the, it's easy to be say like you lock people in a room for an hour uh, they come, you hardly interact with them, and then they leave. What could possibly be meaningful about that? And so for us, answering that question, why, was, well, we're getting them off of their phones and away from technology. They're spending time with their friends and family in a way that they hadn't maybe ever. Um, and they're just checking out from their normal environment. And then when they come in here, we make them feel important and special and like we're glad that they're here. And no one hates that. So for the one hour, if you divide one hour – by the entirety of the rest of their life, it is just an infinitesimal amount, but it doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it can't be meaningful because we string together those moments here for our staff and they look at all these different lives that they've touched. And I think it's, if you can extrapolate that with everything that you do and say, you know, why am I involved in this endeavor? Why am I going to school? Well, you start to see that it has meaning and it has value and it's not because of the books you're reading. It's not, it's because of what it's, what the outcome is going to be. And so for me in any business that I have, I think that's the most important question we can answer because really, if we don't have meaning, the day-to-day grind just, it's not worth it. There's no point. It's like you go make money some other way, but when you have a really strong why and you have that meaning and then you can kind of push through anything. I like that a lot. And I think that's a, a good contrast to the conversation we were just having because, you know, I've read on your website that one of the books that's like in your top list is start with why by Simon Sinek. You know, you go out and you read a book like that and you get really powerful ideas and mindsets and that's not intrusive in your life. You know, that's just like a point of, you know, asking yourself the right types of questions to be able to like find the purpose behind what you're doing versus going out and reading really practical books and feeling obligated to implement everything from that. And that can be an unproductive exercise. Whereas, you know, if you go out and read books that are more thought provoking and less like go do this for 30 minutes a day and change your schedule this way and change your schedule this way, that's kind of a good way to kind of separate books between what's actually helping you out in your business and helping you realize what's benefiting you versus complicating your life with someone else's system that only works for them. For sure. (laughs) I I agree with that completely. Uh, So another question is we read something about an inner circle you had with the podcast called the bold feature inner circle. Uh, Is that something that's still active or could you tell us about what that was if it's no longer active? Yeah. So I think that, it's important to step back and look at what an inner circle is first, because it does matter in the explanation, which is just that in your life, you've got people that you're interacting with. You have people who are just like acquaintances, right? Like you probably wouldn't share your deepest, darkest secret with them. You're probably not going to have too meaningful of a conversation, but you may be friends or whatever. And then the idea is just like the smaller you get inside of that, the deeper you get, the more meaningful those relationships are. And then, but the catch with that is most of the time we stay, at least for myself and for most of the males that I am around, we stay on that outside. Maybe like the second ring and we like have a few closer friends. 
what I realized for myself was that the inner circle that I have in my life accidentally had become the most important group of people to me outside of my wife, you know, and like the, that kind of relationship, the, the inner circle was like in life giving incredibly valuable. And so um, what I did is, I, and I've got a group of probably five or 10 guys in my life where we will literally share everything. They're all entrepreneurs. Um, most of them, a couple of them aren't, but it's like, it's a push to just be real and honest and vulnerable and have that conversation that we need to have this. And so one of the inner circles I created was called the fellowship. And it was, uh, I think there was eight of us in the group. We met once a month for a year and each person had the floor for 10 minutes to give an update on anything they wanted to, uh, business, personal, whatever. It was completely confidential. So nothing left the room. So you could say anything you wanted about your your team, your customers, your business, your wife, your partner, whatever you wanted to say. And the reason for that was because I just realized that we have to have a place where we can completely lay everything out. And there's certain places where that's great. Cause even if you're really vulnerable with your team, even if you're transparent with them, which I, I recommend, there are also other things that would be really foolish to tell them. Like your, your big fears about the sales next quarter or whatever, mm. or like, there's just some things like you need some other, you need other people in your corner to help you know how to navigate those waters. And so it was a, a one year experiment, one that I'll, I'll continue on again at some point, but that was probably the most deep dive inner circle I've done. And I mean, we, we I heard really intense, really incredible, really painful things. And then we also had some huge triumphs come out of it and some big wins and guys helping each other do things in business and just in life. And, you know, have you considered this or what, all those kinds of things. So for me, I, there's not, I can't put a value on that. And like, it's just one of the most important things I've ever done. And I highly recommend that everybody have one business or not. It's just, I think it's too important, especially in a day and age where everything is so shallow and so much of your life is perception on the internet or whatever. And it's just not real. And so I, I just, that's, yeah. that's my inner circle idea. I think that is really powerful. Um, I think, you know, you're talking about what it, what it has done for you. But if you look at it from the other side, what you've given to other people is a platform to be vulnerable. And that's something that men today never get to have or see. Um, I, I had the privilege of, of being kind of a fly on the wall of a long running um, one of these men's groups that's very, that, that is vulnerable you know, like the goal is for the men to be vulnerable and they're all older yeah. men. And the most interesting piece of it to me, well, not the most interesting, but one interesting thing was hearing about pastors that were in the group and how lonely the pastors um, can feel because they yeah. can never be vulnerable with anybody without feeling like they might lose some sort of respect or you know, there it's like what you were saying about sharing with your team, something, some things you just don't want to share with your team and right. pastors. That's a huge wide range of things that you don't want to share. So, um, I don't know. That's just an interesting <laughs> yeah, totally agree. about, <laughs> about vulnerability inside, and how important it is. You get inside those settings and it's its own, uh, not to take away from any other me too movement, but it, it's its own tiny me too thing. It's like, you say something and someone else is like, yeah, I am in the exact same place. Mm -hmm. I, if I could walk away from my business today, I would. 
or I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this or just any other thing. It's like, yeah, I felt that I can relate to that. And hearing someone say that they are in the same boat as you are, that you thought had it all together is like, well, great. I can go conquer the world now because I know I've got someone else. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. I think mm-hmm. I've got to support. I think that's a really interesting, you know, like juxtaposition for the conversation we're having about leadership where you have this one domain in your life where you need to be that supremely confident, have your stuff together. You're like the face everyone looks to, to inspire them, influence them to work hard and be confident in what's going on. But as a person with like emotions and other things you need to deal with, you need to have a separate group to turn to where you can like take, not like the mask, but like put down your confidence for an afternoon and like show that vulnerability without yeah. And not having that be the same group of people that looks to you for influence and looks for you as the rock kind of thing to like actually have a separate group to turn to. And I think you're better off as a leader if you're not bottling that all yourself and you actually have that group and you're not dumping that on like the same people you're supposed to be influencing. Totally. I think those go really totally. hand a, in hand. They do. And it's a, it's, it's a weird thing because you want to be real with them. You don't, you don't want to have this fake facade. There's a certain level of vulnerability. And then when the inner circle, we're just going deeper, mm-hmm. you know, it's that, I think it's just such an important, important thing to have in your life. It's so healthy too. It is. Yeah. It's a pressure release valve and you don't realize you need it until after you've experienced it. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, how did I go? How, why was I holding that in? Mm-hmm. Oh, why did I have all this pent up like frustration and with my, business or my life or with my wife and like even even in marriage the same way as like certain things you obviously shouldn't say but you get out you get it out of your system and then you can go have a, a fruitful conversation about the issue uh, so yeah there's there's a lot of places where it's really beneficial i think the funny thing about this is that it's such an age-old system i know you have like benjamin franklin and like the junto he created and so many other of these like powerful underground men just having conversations societies and history and they're kind of looked upon in like a mysterious way but maybe that's like the secret power of how all these men that were in them like were able to amass such like fortunes and influence in society is that they actually had a productive way to deal with their problems and could get that out of the way yeah uh, there's something to it for sure and i just think vulnerability is definitely not weakness in any way i mean there's a there's a place to be strong and there's a place to show weakness and, and knowing those two places is is advisable but there's something to it for sure. sure. So let's uh, yeah. transition out into kind of the last segment before the, the bonus questions, which is what you're looking to do now. Uh, so you've identified as an improver, not necessarily a founder. Uh, after your experience mm-hmm. in you know breakout, you kind of realized I'm not a zero to one type of guy, but I'm an effective operator. How did you kind of learn this about yourself and what do you want to do now that you have that knowledge? Yeah, I'd learned it just through experience and just through doing a bunch of stuff. So all the career things that I've done kind of led to that. And I think breakout was good because it was kind of a hybrid. There was a sort of system and structure in place. It was a beginnings of a brand. It already had a name and the idea had kind of been vetted, not necessarily by us, but I think, you know, there was one in Nashville and a couple in Florida. And it was like, we're kind of not like at 0.0, maybe 0.1. I mean, just barely in existence, but there was at least a location in Lexington that existed. So I was able to come in and then just continue to build it out. You know, it, it was like the skeletons there. we got to put muscle on it and skin and give it some eyes. And so what I've just realized as I looked at, okay, breakout is stable. It's operational. You take COVID out of two months of no revenue, but overall it's pretty steady and consistent. 
I started to look at what are the other things I want to do. And the natural thing is like, we'll go start another business. And the more I thought about it, I was just like, I have no desire to do that. It's so exhausting and business is already hard enough. And then I realized, well, it's just not my skill set. I don't, I don't want to go vet products. I don't want to do market fit. I don't want to see who's interested. I don't want to go ask opinion. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to take something that's working and make it better. And I want to own that. And so I thought, the, the the next best step for me and what I'm searching for right now is an acquisition. It's a business that has positive cash flow already. It's a, a service-based business because we're service-based here at Breakout. I understand that world. It's a company that sends guys out in trucks to perform the service. But um, it, for me, it really just, I mean, you learn, your, you learn so much about yourself through, through experience. And that's how, that's the only way I've been able to, to come to that is just seeing what I like doing and, and what I don't. Yeah, I think that's a very powerful realization to come to um, just about yourself. You know, there's a lot of lore around being an entrepreneur and like starting this big thing and having your name on it like Trump. You know, it's it's yeah. there's a lore to it. So being able to step outside of yourself and realize that's just not what you want to do, I think, is something that uh, speaks to speaks to you. Um, so what draws you to the idea of a business where people are getting sent out in trucks to get work done? Yeah, I think, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is because the bar for service is incredibly low. And so typically in a lot of entrepreneurial conversations, it's like you need to have a really great idea, kind of something earth shattering, groundbreaking, and you've got to have this competitive moat around the business. And I'm doing pretty much the exact opposite. I'm going into an industry that is completely saturated, incredibly competitive, and like, almost impossible to differentiate it's like what's the difference in one hvac company versus the next because uh, those are some of the deals that people are sending me just as examples mm-hmm. and to me it's just like i i've called those companies before and it was terrible and like some of them do it really well i'm not saying 100 percent. i'm just saying for the most part i'm renovating a house right now trying to get these service providers of the ones i'm trying to acquire right now it's you can't get a quote you can't it's unclear communication they don't show up on time. It's just all these things. And I'm like, we, I know how to do that. And so part of it's just low hanging fruit. It's that I don't think this is necessarily like the most, um, you know, protected thing in the world. It doesn't have, it's got a ton of competition, but for me, it just makes sense. And I think that I can, you know, if you look at what you're good at, I think I can do that better than other people. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, day one, I'm just going to turn this thing around. I have no illusions of that but it just kind of fits who I am and, and what I think I'm, I guess, prepared to do. Yeah. And I know a lot of the service businesses, you know, it's like the owner just gets into a groove where they're making X amount of dollars a year. And it's like, they're not trying to actively improve it because they've been making X dollars per year forever, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I've had owners tell me that exact thing, which is I'm whatever age I am, I'm ready to retire. I've got five great ideas for how this thing can be improved and I'm not going to do any of them because I don't have the energy or the desire and I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So where did that inspiration come from? I know that you mentioned that you read a couple of books that, that led you to that realization about, um, you know, boomers trying to sell their businesses. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where the first idea came from. I think, um, it might've been a friend of mine, Vaughn McCreary that I was having coffee with and he just mentioned cause he was working for an investment bank or something like that. I don't know. Um, I don't know where it started, but then I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and it's been, it was like a year, year and a half of research. And then the last 
six months, I've just gotten much more serious about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, best of luck with that search. Maybe if anyone listening to this has a parent or a relative or a cousin or a neighbor or whatever, that's like, I've been, anyone. I've been looking for a energetic 30 young, you know, early 30 something guy yeah. to take over the reins. So if you know anyone, you know, we'll leave a Twitter uh, bio in the description or something. Uh, so yeah, for sure. It, it definitely is putting out a lot of feelers. There's I've gotten leads from all kind of random places. So I'm, that's the world that I'm in right now is trying to find the next uh, venture. And I was, uh, I was on your website doing some research for this. And my dad came in the room and he's like, I like this guy's website. It's very clear what his purpose is right now. It's just bold face on the landing page. Like I'm looking to buy a service-based business. Please contact me if you're interested. I'm like, you know, you can't really argue with that. Yeah. I had to, to me, I can't understand complex things. So I, everything I write is really simple. So it just comes as like, this is what I'm doing. That's it. I think you're better off for that way though. Uh, I hope yeah. So, so uh, I hope we're so. going to transition now into the kind of bonus wrap up questions and cool. on the same conversation as your website, you have, you know, some pages where you talk about the books you've read and the, the influence that they've had on you. And you have like, the categories for books broken down, you know, in a standard way, business books, finance books, leadership books, whatever. And then Malcolm Gladwell gets his own header that he's a category of his own. Uh, why, why yeah. is that? What's the, the books that he's written that, you know, you've really taken a lot from, or how do you kind of take that inspiration? Well, I think for one is just the volume of his work. He's written so many things, whereas most of the other authors have only written if they've written more than one, I probably didn't care about it. There was just one that I liked. And for whatever reason, I resonate with him so strongly. And I think his ability to take something that I couldn't care less about and turn it into an interesting narrative that I am fascinated by is just, it's a magician's trick. I mean, I just don't understand how that's possible. So uh, partly I'm just intri intrigued by his craft. Uh, but I think the one that I read most recently, Talking to Strangers, the one that I think is the most recent book that came out, it's one of those that was like, I just hadn't thought of it that way. And puts a lot of research into showing us that we really don't know how to read people very well. And they do all these different studies and show us that we think we're good at reading body language and we're not. And we think that we understand people's motivations and we don't often because there's things we can't see. Very simple concept, but he just has such a great way of telling stories about it. And so uh, same thing with David and Goliath. He kind of gets us to think, take this historical story and say, what if it was a little bit different than what we thought? I don't know if that's the way it was, but what if? And I, I just love that. And so that's part of why I'm such a big Gladwell fan. It's just, it's just everything that he writes, I really, I like it. And so he got his own category. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, who are some other thought leaders that you admire like that? Yeah, I think, so the most, the book that I probably recommend most, that I know no one will ever read, but because it's so big and it's just a, it's an undertaking. It's called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's by Robert Kahneman. And it is brilliant. I mean, it is just, um, so it's science and research on the way that we think and the way that we make decisions. And when you really dive into that, you start to realize in the same way as we were talking about with Gladwell, how little you know about making good decisions and then statistical thinking, which is just a completely foreign concept because I'm just typically flying by the seat of my pants, gut reactions. And he's really challenging you to think like, okay, mathematically, how do you break down this, this situation into probabilities so that you know what your downside is? 
again, as I explained it, it was like, well, that's not very complicated, but it's just such an incredibly well-written book. So mm-hmm. that's one. Um, I, I just that these at this point I typically am reading something that's very specific to the place I'm in. So, business acquisition books I've kind of kept rereading over and over. Those, um, are the one that I've read most recently was by Bob Iger, the CEO, kind of former CEO, sort of now CEO of of Disney. Disney. We just talked about his acquisitions of Fox and Marvel and all that. Unbelievable story. Um, so I I just I like. I like reading those things that help me to to educate myself and just just to generally be better. And in the same way, you take some things, you leave some things. But I think reading is one of the most important things you can do to develop yourself. How do you uh, habify? How do you make reading a habit in your in your life? Um. Well, I think maybe unintentionally, I I mean I have a place in my office here that I read. Mm-hmm. And I think just the physical surrounding of having a like a place that I go and do that activity because if I if I'm not comfortable I'm not gonna do whatever thing it is so I just I am sitting in this chair oh, over the there under that lamp and that's mm-hmm. a little reading area and so it's specifically like I sit there for other things but it's mostly like if I just go to that chair I'm probably reading and so whether that's you know a habit thing I accidentally created I don't know but. Um, one, I just love it. So that helps. Um, mm-hmm. But two, I think creating an environment where it's, there's not really any distraction. I, I can't really read in public or anything. So creating the surroundings for that learning uh, so you can take notes, write in the margins, that kind of stuff is important too. Yeah. Um, so before this interview, I was talking to my sister who knows you um, and she knows your wife, I think better than she knows you, but yeah. she was saying just how she's like a boss and um <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what is it like to be married to an entrepreneur, to another entrepreneur? And how do you think it's different if you, I guess, can even answer that than, um, than when just one person in the couple is an entrepreneur? Yeah. Now it's great. <laughs> At the beginning, it was terrible. I mean, it was awful and we fought a lot. And so, and she actually, she started her business, which is called Bustle. So wedding uh, sample store. We sell wedding dresses. Hers was seven years old and mine's five years old. So we'd had that one a couple years before and I'd helped her with that, but we didn't have good delineation of roles of like who's responsible for what things. So it, it just was a mess. So I think now that now it's like I help her with digital, um, the digital marketing side, I help her with a website, I help her with very specific things. And she makes very specific requests inside of her business. And then I do that for breakout. I need you to read over this. I need you to help me with this thing, help me do whatever task. And that is, is, is really helpful. It also helps for us to be able to relate to each other. Cause we know what it's like when you're dealing with difficult employees or you're having to have a tough conversation. I, I don't, I don't know what it would be like, but I think if you, if you work a normal job, it's hard to see, what that weight is like mm-hmm. having to fire someone. It's like, Oh, you had to fire someone. But when you, when you've done it before, it's like, Oh yeah, that's the worst thing you'll ever do. So I get that. Yeah. But it helps us to relate to each other a lot. And then also I think the thing we enjoy most is just gives us freedom. We can work whenever we want to. And so that's nice to be able to schedule it, whether it's vacations or just trips that we didn't know were coming up or whatever it is. I mean, for us, our endeavor is not necessarily to be the wealthiest people, but to have, the choice mm-hmm. to do whatever we want. And so 
I think that helps us to get there together as opposed to like, well, I got to take time off work, but you know, this, whatever, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's a very similar think, aspiration for, uh, for Kyle and I in our lives is that freedom, yeah. time, independence. I mean, obviously you have some major responsibilities as well and it's, there's sure. other considerations not baked into the whole thing, but that aspiration is definitely there. I think one thing that you mentioned there that's really important is the delineation of roles, uh, but not only in the context of being um, entrepreneurs where it might be more important, but also like just for the health of, of normal relationships, you know, yes. knowing exactly who does what, like I, I take the trash out. So I take mm-hmm. the trash out and you do right. the dish, you know, but, but that applies to every part of your life. Totally. And if there's some, uncertainty i think it's like it's like sand you know it it can just rub rub the wrong way over and over and over until it's a big a big problem um so our next question here is about something that i saw on your facebook uh you do improv can you explain a little bit about that and what it, it has given to you yeah that's an unbelievable experience one that i didn't expect to get out of it what i did basically i went to an improv show thought it was really funny and then the guy at the end was like who wants to take an improv class so i signed up (laughs) and uh, i guess like starting a business i was just like yeah sure i don't know what that is so we it's an eight i took two eight week classes and essentially it's not at all what i thought there's so much structure and so many like rules and things to think about inside of making up stuff as you go that it helped me to kind of figure out how to craft the story one on the fly uh two it just it was like a great outlet for being able to just like go be silly be goofy i don't i mean i do that some in my business because you know i want to have fun with the team but this was just like another level of completely lose yourself and don't care what you look like which pushes you outside of your comfort zone because the first class all you can think about is what do i look like what am i going to say and am i going to be funny and they kind of strip that all away and just say, don't worry about being funny. Let's just try to follow this structure. Something funny will come of it if you just kind of like stick to what we tell you. And so, but it helps me on stage a lot. Like I've had to give presentations and other things that I've been doing that for a long time. But then after the improv class, I just felt so much even more comfortable because it's like, well, at least I don't have to make this up. <laughs> at least I got to you know, prepare beforehand. It's like, this is way easier I did. It wasn't stand up, but I did kind of like a comedic presentation at a thing I had to do. It was like so much better because I had had that experience. So I think every human should do it because it's so uncomfortable. And by the end, you'll be like, I can actually do this. And we put on a show and it didn't go terrible. It actually was, it was, it was better than I thought it would be. <laughs> well, now that you said that, I'm sure that Lewis will drag me to an improv <laughs> class in the coming months. I, I'm telling you, you absolutely should. And I can point you in the right direction. <laughs> uh, the right teachers make all the, all the difference. And I just, the guys that I know that did it are unbelievable teachers and they have been trained in New York and Chicago and all that stuff. So they mm-hmm. had good training, but you get more from it than you could possibly yeah. imagine. I have a, a growing list of things we're supposed to try together, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the Wim Hof method, yeah. uh, CrossFit, mm-hmm. Iron Tribe, and uh, we'll add uh, we'll add <laughs> improv to that list. Yeah. Uh, but we also have the desire to weeks. actually do it's all of that. Eight weeks? Okay. Yeah, we can do that, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. Once a week for two hours, <laughs> eight weeks. It is very, very good. Kyle's already getting red in the face because he knows what's coming after this phone call. <laughs> We should start a podcast, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> we could we could do a branch off YouTube channel where it's just us doing the 
taking an eight week improv, then like eight weeks of jujitsu <laughs> and then eight weeks of, I mean, you know, but that's something. Well, I, I do think those things as funny as that is like, they are so interconnected, like taking a, a jujitsu class, ha there's an entrepreneurial benefit to that. Uh, improv, there's an entrepreneurial benefit to that. Not that everything has to benefit your entrepreneurial career or your business or your, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I, every time I've had something like that, where I went and tried something, it's like, well, I'm better in these other areas. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the time, most people just don't push themselves in any area. So if you're just incrementally a little bit better, it, it just feels great. So yeah, absolutely. It's cool. I like that. That's funny. So the, uh, the next question we have for you, another uh, thing we've seen that you've been involved in that sounds pretty cool is the Rotaract club. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us what that is and what your involvement was about? Yeah. It's the Birmingham Rotaract club. The Rotary club is like the old person version and it is a service organization. It's been around for 1 million years and they do incredible work. And then the Rotaract Club is 20. Well, there's no real minimum age, but it's like generally 22 to 35 is the cutoff age or 34. I don't know, somewhere around there. And it's just a young person version that's doing social good, networking, caring for the community, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they meet twice a month, I think, for lunch. And then there's socials and all this stuff. So I got involved thinking it'd be cool and then served on the board, which was the real benefit, which was it's the largest Rotaract club in the world in Birmingham is like 250 some odd members. And so you're trying to organize all those people who uh, they don't have to do what you say and they've got their own ideas and just like trying to organize that was, was really <laughs> challenging. But I was a programs director one year. So I went and chose all the speakers and prepped all of them and got them in. And then I, I was the vice president, so helped run the club. And those are the kind of things, I mean, it's the same thing as what we were just talking about. It's like you get something out of that that you probably didn't think you would. And so my organizational, I kind of tightened that up on how to run an organization. It's definitely helped me today. But um, it, it's just if, you're, if you are of age to, if you're in, like in the right age group, which have now since aged out, I don't know that there's a better experience at least in the city of Birmingham to just grow and develop than to put yourself around the people. Cause they're all really well vetted. It's hard to get in the club and unbelievable experience, especially if you can push yourself to serve on the board. That's where the real, real, real value is. I think there's a good Podcast. general, general theme here of, you know, the way that you just take action and just, you know, you're not totally going for any specific reason for a lot of these different things you're doing. You're not picking up, uh, thinking fast and slow by Tversky and Kahneman because you want to become an expert on cognitive biases and you're not yeah. joining a computer, uh, like a computer sales organization because you think it's a stepping stone into some other thing. It's just, you just are seeking opportunities and putting yourself out there and doing the best of whatever it is that you're doing and serendipitous encounters and conversations and friendships are going to lead to other opportunities that are right for you. Uh, as just a matter of fact, it's just, you're in enough places, meeting enough people, all doing positive things. And by being a positive contributor in all of those environments, good things will probably come your way. There's no question. And I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning, Kyle, of just imperfect action is better than inaction, better than maybe perfect inaction because you can't be wrong when you don't act. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's, I mean, honestly, it's kind of like bowling. I don't know why I have this bowling metaphor in my head, but it just is like when you go bowling, you're trying to hit the pins if you have a good strategy, it's like the little bumpers on the side. So it's a, definitely a good idea to have a strategy, but if you don't ball the ball. You're never going to knock any pins over. And so you just have to, at some point 
you got to do something. You got to try to throw it down that lane. Otherwise, yeah, it looks really good. Nothing's knocked over, but it it just feels like that's the way to do it. And it's not maybe other people may not see it that way, but for me, I'd rather just do a bunch of stuff inside of like a some guidelines than just do nothing at all. I really like that bowling metaphor. Actually, I think that it's I think it's very powerful. I was taking an it's eight like, week bowling course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. If, you don't, uh, if you're not bowling 300 by the end of eight weeks, yeah. we're just going to be so um, yeah. Well, you can this buy has been great. Alley. Um, that's true. <laughs> no thanks. Not, not they quite. Might, they might uh, be distressed. You, know, you don't know. Oh, they are distressed. Uh, um, yeah. Well, this has been great. We have got one last question for you. Um, it's about your fitness and health routines. Can you, can you walk us through those? Yeah. That's probably something that doesn't get talked about enough. I, I will say, how old are you guys? 20. What are your ages? I'm 20. I'm turning 21 mm-hmm. in three days, two days. I think I, I, I just, it's like, and I feel so, I knew so little about fitness and nutrition at age 20 that was readily available to me. And people probably told me, and the, I mean, you hear it all the time. Like you should exercise, you should, you should eat right. But I have found that you and you can compensate when you're 20 like you can you'll be fine like if you don't do all that like you got enough energy or whatever i'm 37 and the the amount of nutrition like this the importance of nutrition and working out has only escalated almost like every single day that the older i get to where i feel like i'm in definitely the best shape i've ever been in but it's taken a lot more to get there and i wish i'd started earlier I guess that would be the the way that I would put that. Uh, so like my youthfulness is not there, right? Like my jump's probably not as high. I probably don't run as fast, but like generally feel in better shape. And so for me, my routine is uh, not five. It's probably four or five days a week. I'm in a CrossFit settings, so CrossFit Mudtown in Cahaba Heights. It's around the corner from my house. It's very convenient and easy for me to just get there and work out. And I'm probably 4.30 or 5.30 in the afternoon is my peak time because uh, I like working in the morning um, and then I work out in the afternoon it's something I look forward to because it's a great community it's something to be a part of but it it now if I if I don't do that it it's just there's there's so many negative ramifications of not working out and then the other more important thing that I'm learning even more recently is just the value of the right nutrition and just stripping away so many of the just I mean just fruits vegetables chicken and fish i mean like those are the things that have just energized me the most drinking green smoothies all those things that i used to be like well i don't need that i i can't stress enough how much more energy you have when you do those things properly and just wish i had done that earlier in addition to just drinking a ton of water which i'd probably drink a lot of mountain dew back then (laughs) that's pretty funny so that's that's my routine. Yeah. So uh, Kyle lied there with saying goes our last question, but this one's our actual last question, uh, okay. which is you know if people want to support you, keep up with what you're doing. What's the best way to find you online, support your projects, or get in touch with you if they have any reason to? Um, and I don't. I would say I'm I'm medium active on social media type things. Facebook is always easy. Not on there a ton. I'm on Twitter most actively because I, I like to follow the business acquisition world. Um, so I'm at Jericar, J-E-R-C-A-R, or just email Jeremy D. Carter at gmail.com if someone wants to get in touch. But yeah, that's where I am. Absolutely. 
Well, I think that wraps up our questions for you. This is a great interview. Thank you very much for coming on. Well, thanks for your time. And I would just say the thing that what you guys are doing is so incredibly important and it's invaluable, invaluable for your life. You will you'll get benefit from it now, but the real benefit will be looking down the road. You'll look back and be like, I'm so glad I did that. Keep asking questions. Keep being curious. I think it will really pay off for sure. Well, that wraps up our interview with Jeremy Carter. I really enjoyed that conversation. He was so articulate and concise and thoughtful on his different answers to our questions. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation just as much as I did because I found it very educational and thought-provoking. Kyle, how can people help us out if they like the show and want to support? Listeners can help us out by giving us a rating on iTunes or uh, Spotify or any platform where you get your podcast, as well as the best way to support the show, which is to share it with a friend. If you know anybody who you think would enjoy our podcast, please send it to them. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening. and We hope that you have a great day.